Support for To The Point comes from Bausch & Lomb. Beautiful and healthy looking eyes? It shouldn't be a compromise. Lumify Eye Illuminations, developed by the experts at Bausch & Lomb exclusively for the sensitive eye area. To cleanse, nourish, and brighten. Lumify Eye Illuminations, only in the eye care aisle. Support for this podcast is provided by Allergan, an AbbVie company. We've been creating innovative products and services for our providers and our patients for over 70 years. Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested in specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point Podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell. And if you're new to this podcast, you will soon discover that we like to talk about dry eye, and today is no different. We are very happy to have Dr. Mania Madan with us to talk about the use of PRP in dry eye. Hi, Dr. Madan. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me on here. I'm super excited. <laughs> We're super excited to learn um, about this PRP where it comes to dry eye. So thank you for taking the time. Let me tell you a little bit just for our listeners about Dr. Madan. She is from Vancouver, Canada. She received her Doctor of Optometry degree from Pacific University in Portland. And following optometry school, she did a residency in ocular disease and surgical co-management at the Eye Center of Texas in Houston. After her residency, Dr. Madan practiced in Minneapolis, Minnesota for several years at a large ophthalmology practice as a medical optometrist before returning to Canada. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry and has lectured on the management of ocular diseases. She also currently serves as the vice president for the BC Doctors of Optometry in BC. Dr. Madan practices in Vancouver where she splits her time between an ophthalmology practice and an optometry practice. And her practice focuses on innovative treatments for dry eye and glaucoma management. So I'm so excited to talk to you about PRP. I know you're doing that a lot in your um, practice now and that you are, um, you know, doing lectures on that, which um, I'm excited to learn more about that from you. I do want to, we were just talking the other day and you have kind of an interesting story on how you actually got into um, an ophthalmology office in Vancouver. And I wasn't aware of this before talking to you that it's not as common for ODs and MDs to work together. And so it, I mean, not everyone that's listening to this podcast wants to start their own practice and grow their dry eye clinic in their own practice. Sometimes it's just, you wanna grow a dry eye clinic in a patient base in someone else's practice and you don't wanna actually do your own. And I think it's actually useful to hear your story on how you've done that with the office that you work at now in Canada. So maybe, can you give us like, just tell us a little background on you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for that introduction. And um, yeah, so it all started, um, you know, I finished up time to school and I moved to Minnesota with my husband. We'd recently gotten married and I started working at a private practice, a wonderful private practice. 
but uh, it just, you know, I really wanted to do a residency and, uh, and then I kind of thought about it, uh, you know, that I wanted to focus on ocular disease in my practice. And so even though I'd already been out of school and had been practicing, practicing for two or three years, it just was in my mind that I, that's something I really want to do. And so I applied to a residency program, didn't match in Minnesota, actually matched in uh, Texas. And my husband was super supportive. We drove across country and we lived separate as newlyweds. And then I did uh, my my husband and I did the same. I was in residency in St. Louis and he was in Wisconsin. Too funny. Yeah. So it's fantastic. I mean, it was one of the best years, right? An investment in yourself. It changes the way you practice. Um, and then after finishing that residency, moved back to Minnesota and worked there. Um, and since we're Canadian, we always kind of wanted to move back to Canada. And in Vancouver, uh, especially in British Columbia, ophthalmologists and optometrists don't really have this integrated model of working together. You know, I really believe in the model. I think that there's a huge benefit mutually for ophthalmologists and optometrists and our patients, uh, you know, when we work together like this. And so it just wasn't common here at all. And so when I moved here in 2013 and, uh, you know, I had this desire that I really want to focus on ocular disease and work with an ophthalmologist and everybody was like, oh yeah, no, that, that doesn't happen here. You know? <laughs> That's Keep on dreaming. <laughs> and so I thought, well, um, you know, I said, well, I'm just going to call. So I what you said was that doesn't happen here yet. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when I was, I was at home and I, and I really thought, well, how is it going to happen unless somebody approaches or does something about it? And so I literally called all the optometry friendly ophthalmologists and just, just cold called them. I just picked up the phone and said, Hey, you know, my name is Mania. I'm an optometrist. I've done an ocular disease residency and I've, you know, worked with ophthalmology practices. Would you be interested in meeting me? And could we talk about this? And, you know, so I got to some positive feedback and some resistance. Some of the ophthalmologists just said, hey, you know, this is not something that happens here. There would be too many billing challenges or whatever. And perhaps we're just not open to this at this point. And, uh, but, you know, all that cold calling did lead to something. And I, and I found uh, a really wonderful ophthalmologist to, to work with and, uh, you know, and just kind of making our own integrated model. And so I've been working with, uh, with him um, since 2013. And I would say I'm still one of the one or two or three ODs in all of British Columbia working in this integrated model. And I still get calls from other ODs, you know, uh, asking me, hey, how, how does that work? Or, or, you know, how do you guys work together? Or how, or how does this happen? And so it's really interesting that we're kind of still paving the way and building the gap between optometry and ophthalmology here. Yeah, it's, that's like so great. You're the pioneer in doing that. Mm. Then. Like now, maybe <laughs> in like 15 years, that'll become like more of a norm. And they'll um, the, you know, ophthalmology in Vancouver will see the benefit of like having this like, um, you know, relationship between optometry and how they can kind of help each other. So that's great. Um, yeah, like proud of you for doing that. Way to go. <laughs> I know. Super proud. How, how, how heavy was the lift for patients? Um, or that was pretty easy to kind of transition and understand that you were working in that practice together with the ophthalmologist. Were they receptive to you? You know, uh, the patients, I, I feel like the patients were definitely receptive. Um, I think the, the fear when we first started working together was um, because, you know, most ophthalmologists are referred based practices from other optometrists. And so the fear was, hey, if we're going to have an optometrist working with us, maybe the other optometrists are not going to refer to us. And so there was a lot of, uh, you know, understanding and knowledge that went behind that, that I'm not there just to do primary care and that our focus is a little bit different and we're not you know there to steal other optometrist patients but to rather really bridge the gap 
and uh, you know help our patients uh, kind of thing. So yeah, I, so I think it was it was an easy transition for the patients, and, and in fact, uh, it was always easier to get in to see me because my wait lists are much shorter than sometimes seeing an ophthalmologist, especially in uh, Vancouver where we do have socialized medicine. So when you were sort of doing all of your cold calling, did you have this idea of this like dry eye clinic in mind and like protocols established, like you knew how you wanted to sort of bring that to the practice, like you had an idea of that when you called or is that something that was like you guys worked on that and developed it together? You know, that came on a little bit later. Initially, I was uh, just wanting to do more medical management, glaucoma and dry eye. And uh, but about five or six years ago, uh, you know, that's kind of when this whole dry eye clinic started. Um, and, and I really kind of found my niche within working in this ophthalmology practice and, you know, high volume of patients and, and seeing pre-ops and post-ops. And, you know, patients really feel like um, their surgery almost failed because, they are symptomatic post-surgery because of dry eyes. Nothing is wrong with the surgery. The surgery is fine, but their expectations just aren't met because of this uh, you know, whole dry eye. And I also feel like we've been seeing so much more dry eye, right? Totally. Uh, than, than ever before. And, and so just, yeah, so the interest really grew in the last five, six years. And uh, that's when I started kind of focusing on making a dry eye clinic uh, within within the practice. And I found really great support from the ophthalmologist uh, with, within the practice. And, you know, so from training staff, laying down protocols to even training the MDs, right? So we have to change their mindset as well. Uh, that, uh, you know, how to deal with referred patients or how to not just open your drawer and give them lubricating drops or <laughs> yeah. tell them to just use uh, baby shampoo. So there was a, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of training that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like a great, um, you know, sell, I think, or, or, or twist on that when you're, if you are wanting to cold call and get into an ophthalmology practice is like, I can make your patient outcomes better. It's like you're, as long as we're treating your dry eye patients before the surgery, they'll, you'll have better patient outcomes. It's kind of a good angle um, to sort of take, I think, with ophthalmology. So that's great. The other thing I will say, because I've actually, even though here in the States, you know, it is more common to have the integrated practice. When I first started, I was the first OD in uh, a one MD practice. And so that was challenging. Um, actually, he did lose a little bit of referrals at the beginning from optometrists until they understood what was different, you know, and now actually those doctors are often the ones that refer to me where I am now because they see what I've been doing with dry eye management and how I've been, you know, dedicating, you know, my time to learning more and, and improving patient outcomes. So I, I think that's probably what you're seeing now as well. Now that you've been there for five or six years is that the ODs in your area are actually leaning on you um, for your expertise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think our relationships have gotten so much better too, right? And so I, you're absolutely right. I get calls from ODs, uh, you know, referring in patients for dry eyes and even for glaucoma. I get calls from ophthalmologists, you know, retinal specialists and glaucoma specialists, uh, you know, talking about their patients. And I mean, they're in busy practices too. And, you know, we all can't do everything. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and so sometimes I don't think that there's enough time in our chair uh, to deal with every single uh, pathology. And it's nice to be able to say, hey, you could do the dry eyes and I can really lean on you for that. And, you know, and I mean, I'm not going to do myopia management. And I, so I love the interoptometry referrals as well, because I can lean on them and say, hey, please take care of this. Totally. I think there's, you know, we all have things we're good at and we have things we don't want to do. And that's a great relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Well, out. I definitely want to dig into the PRP. I, I am familiar with PRP um, because I, one of my friends from actually like grade school is a physiatrist. And so she does a lot of pain management um, and part of that. And then she kind of got into cosmetics as well. And she was doing PRP for hair replacement mm-hmm. um, or hair loss. And and I think maybe PRP for maybe facial things yes. like facials. Right. Um, so it's Vampire definitely interesting. Facial. Yeah, yes, vampire facial, that's what you got <laughs> it. So is it the same type of thing going on? And, and tell me a little bit about what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So PRP is platelet-rich plasma. Uh, and how we got into it uh, was actually three, almost three years ago now. And, you know, I feel like there's overall, there's a general uh, push for wanting more organic or more natural things. You know, we're more conscious of what we put inside our body. Uh, to what we put on our face, you know, sometimes we're even looking for better makeup options, right, that are more natural. And so I see the general uh, concern in patients as well, that they're wanting more, uh, more natural treatment options. And the way PRP came about uh, was actually my husband is a periodontist, and he's been working with platelets. Uh, So when he does soft tissue grafts and dental surgeries, and so he'd been working with uh, PRP and PRF, which is uh, the fibrin, uh, so highly concentrated platelets and they injected right into the surgical site. Um, And so, you know, I was really intrigued because he was lecturing on it and and he was always talking about how it's really benefited dentistry and the patients that he's seeing. So kind of dived into looking at a lot of the research papers, right, uh, a few years ago, and we were looking at autologous serum and how that's natural as well and platelets uh, being natural and how they're Uh, you know, made, uh, and perhaps getting that technology into our clinic. And so we did spend about a year just kind of experimenting uh, with uh, with the platelets, Uh, you know, we worked with uh, drawing the blood and then concentrating the platelets, the volume, how much, you know, how to actually really make the product and then to store it and and be viable for patients to use. So I'm really excited to say that we're one of, uh, we're the only clinic in Western Canada, and and we do do the blood draw in clinic, you know, and we make the PRP uh, in our clinic with using any external companies or, or kits uh, or whatnot. So that's really exciting because we have kind of full control of, you know, the concentration of platelets and uh, also the, the continuity of it. Do you know what I mean? There isn't that variation uh, that you can sometimes get um, with blood products. So that's uh, kind of how it started. And so platelets um, and how it kind of differs from autologous serum, which is probably a question that I get asked uh, the most often. Uh, So platelets are kind of the powerhouse for healing, right? So they are the ones in our body that come to heal, whether we get a cut on our our body or there is an actual big injury. So platelets are the ones that come uh, to heal, uh, you know, to that surface. And so they release... Uh, there's 30 known bioproducts within those platelets, including, you know, alpha granules, growth hormones, cytokines. So those are all released onto the wound, wound site that causes that wound to nicely heal afterwards. So it causes cell migration, um, you know, mitosis and meiosis of the epithelial tissue and causes healing in that area. So there's lots of great, um, great, uh, you know, roles that platelets actually play in, in the healing of the tissue, right? So they also reduce inflammation. They also reduce osmolarity. And we know uh, that osmolarity plays a huge role in ocular surface disease. Um, and so the way we make autologous serum and how it's different, different from platelets is that when we make autologous serum, so we draw the blood from the patient, right? And then we actually coagulate it. So coagulating means breaking open the platelets. 
uh, coagulating means you're coagulating the blood and then spinning it. So in that coagulation pro process, we're actually breaking open the platelets and the platelets are able to release all their alpha granules, their growth hormones and growth factors and epithelial growth factors into that plasma or into the serum. And then that serum is spun to settle the platelets at the bottom. And then we will have the serum on top, which is then taken out and then usually diluted, right? So autologous serum is usually diluted with saline at a 20% or 50% levels um, and then given to patients to use. Whereas what happens in um, uh, PRP is that we don't actually clot. We keep the platelets intact. So we draw the blood and we use an anticoagulation, uh, anticoagulant to actually stop the platelets from coagulating and we keep them in their intact, most natural form. And then we spin it. Uh, and then depending on um, the spinning speed and how many times you do it, uh, you can vary the level or the concentration of platelets in that, uh, in that serum. And so when you uh, then take it out, you're really just looking uh, to take out the platelets and putting it in bottles for patients to use. As an eye drop. As an eye drop. Yes. Support for To The Point comes from Bausch & Lomb. Beautiful and healthy looking eyes? It shouldn't be a compromise. Lumify Eye Illuminations, developed by the experts at Bausch & Lomb exclusively for the sensitive eye area. To cleanse, nourish, and brighten. Lumify Eye Illuminations, only in the eye care aisle. And how do you coagulate a platelet? How do you even know you're doing that? Um, so there are, there are, there are, uh, uh, drugs, not drugs, or yeah, coagulant. You put in with the serum or exactly. the blood with mm -hmm. your blood, yeah, to stop the coagulating or to or to. See, coagulate. these are the things we don't know because we like order a target serum and send it to something like Vital yeah. Tears or like a compounding <laughs> pharmacy, and then it just magically appears. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> So after, yeah. so after they, so really the big difference is like from a serum tier to like just PRP is whether one is co coagulated and one is not. So the PRP is like you use an anticoagulant in the vial or something when you're collecting the yeah, blood. So when you draw the blood, exactly, you mix the blood with an anticoagulant to keep the blood in its most natural form. So to keep the platelets intact. Um, and so the whole thing uh, is that the, it's a superior product. It's superior because the platelets uh, play such a big role in, in epithelial healing. And uh, so when we keep them intact and have them release uh, you know, their content on the ocular surface, it is a much more higher concentration of all of those wonderful things that are, that are in autologous serum or that are in our blood. So PRP contains much higher concentrations of what you would find in autologous serum. Um, and on top of that, um, it, is, it is never cut with saline. We don't mix any saline with it. We don't mix any hyaluronic with it. It's 100% platelets, whereas autologous serum tends to be uh, you know, 20% or 50% and the rest of it is saline. And so one of the reasons uh, why uh, we um, actually dilute autologous serum is that autologous serum also con uh, contains um, inflammatory uh, cytokines which are derived from leukocytes and monocytes. And those inflammatory uh, you know, mediators are within our blood, right? And so autologous serum, we are just, you know, we do keep those uh, when we make those autologous serum drops. So we're keeping, uh, you know, the cytokines that are derived from monocytes and leukocytes within, uh, within the serum. And, and so those, 
those inflammatory uh, uh, cytokines can be actually deleterious to the epithelial surface. So it actually reduces healing and it can also cause scar formation because those are inflammatory mediators. And so autologous serum is usually diluted so that we can dilute those um, inflammatory mediators. Mm -hmm. But by diluting the autologous serum, you're also then diluting the wonderful things about it too, which are the growth factors and the interleukins and the fibronectin and the vitamins. Um, whereas these, uh, these uh, inflammatory cytokines are not present in PRP because we're dealing with just platelets and not monocytes and leukocytes that are in blood. I was under the impression that they diluted um, serum tears because it's like so thick of a drop. Is that not, that's not true. Oh, no. You're and, you know, I mean, they, that may be part of it because eventually it has to come out of the bottle too. As that's a what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's too thick for the bottle. No, but the main cool. reason uh, when we look into the studies, the reason we're doing it is because of this inter, uh, these inflammatory uh, cytokines that are in there. Because we just don't want too many of them on our eye. And so since you're not diluting it, what's the tolerability? The patients tolerate that drop to the ocular surface pretty well, or do you still have adverse um, events like we see with most, um, you know, prescription therapies with installation site pain and things like that? No, so none of those. So that's not what I've read in the studies of there isn't actually a pain, but there could be a negative effect. So they, uh, there was slower healing of, uh, you know, epithelial defects, there was increased scarring of epithelial defects. Um, so not really the stinging burning from the patient perspective, but not actually getting the healing that we want. And also, you know, the, it is important to note that this technology, even though it's amazing, it's still very new and there isn't a standard across it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so there aren't studies that are telling us, hey, 20% is the best concentration or 100%. Some people are finding, yes, 100% works, but we also don't know uh, you know, how they've gotten to that 100%, uh, you know, how long did they coagulate the blood for? Was it two hours or was it 24 hours? Mm -hmm. And, and we also don't know, uh, you know, how long did they let, how, how, how long did they spin for? How much, you know, centrifugation was done? So there's just too many variables in there to kind of give us a clear understanding of whether 100% would work or not. Uh, but the consensus seems to be that we tend not to do 100% autologous. We tend to do a little bit less and because of these inflammatory uh, cytokines in there. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me about like patient's response using PRP. Like who are you using this on and what has been their, what have been their outcomes? So we've been, yeah, we've been using PRP for about uh, two years um, in the clinic now. And I mean, the patient response has been really, really wonderful. I mean, there's so many patients that are just looking for natural options. And it's amazing because patients will ask for it. And they, they sometimes even know the difference between autologous serum versus PRP. And they'll say, hey, this is platelets. And, you know, and I know something about platelets because of other uh, uses of it in medicine, right? Like, Leslie was just talking about uh, hair growth. Um, it's uh, largely used here for um, joint pain, right? So they're injecting it right into the joints. Uh, so patients have definitely heard about it. Uh, it. You know, in our clinic, it's a pretty simple process. We draw the blood. It's a 45-minute appointment. And uh, they literally leave with their, you know, uh, 
of drops with them that day. Uh, and you Do they know, have to be frozen. They have to be frozen, the ones that they're not using immediately, right? Mm -hmm. So they use one bottle a week and that they can keep in the fridge and the rest is frozen until it's uh, needed for use. And is it QID or BID? Or it is, uh, we are using it QID, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've, I've still yet to have a patient that comes back and says, hey, I didn't like using these or these burn or these hurt, you know, which we sometimes hear um, uh, yeah. you, from other drops, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that these sting too much, I can't tolerate using them. I've yet to hear those words uh, in our clinic, so which is wonderful. Um, we've been really successful in using it in patients that have really tried everything. Uh, and, and I'm really hoping to start using it on patients before they get to that point, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the patients right now are still referred in. Uh, they've tried everything, we've had this young lady the other day, um, a couple of months ago, she's 31 years old, she had LASIK. And then um, her husband, uh, you know, kind of his fingernail hit her eye. And so it dislodged the flap, which uh, led her to have corneal melt and then actually develop uh, corneal ectasia in that eye. And so she's got, uh, but beyond all that. sure that husband's in the doghouse. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's a terrible story. No. <laughs> and she's only 31 years old. Oh my gosh, how awful. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, anyway, sorry, corneal. And on top insane. of that, I mean, she's got like this five plus SPK that is just non-healing. Mm. And she's tried, you know, every single uh, drop. She's been to every corneal specialist. Um, uh, she was on autologous serum as well that did nothing. And so I just saw her for two month post-op, uh, not post-op, sorry, after using PRP. And literally we're down to almost two plus SPK. So I'm hoping another month or so. Uh, and this was the worst SPK I've ever seen. You know, it was just dense and it was just, yeah. Wow. So really, really great responses. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm hoping to. What about, I've, I've heard of PRP as it pertains to meibomian gland um, atrophy or maybe hyposecretion of glands. Are you using it at all in MGD? You know, I have read some studies and I do know of some people that are doing uh probing with it. So they're using PRP and then probing the meibomian glands. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that uh, uh, yet. But what know, does that, I, when, when you read those studies, does it mean that they're actually putting PRP into the meibomian gland or that they're treating the surface? I, I was, I felt like they were injecting it when they, they were, were injecting probing. it. Yeah. Exactly. They were injecting yeah. it. Yeah. And that's because PRP has this epitheliotropic potential, right? It causes uh, cell proliferation migration. So they're, I think the the science behind that is we're hoping to regenerate these meibomian glands that uh, patients have lost. Wow, this is, is, so is this, I get this would probably be different from like the US versus Canada, but uh, this is a two part question. Is this co covered by, a, is this an out-of-pocket cost for the patient? It I'm is. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it is an out-of-pocket, yeah, exactly. Even out-of-pocket in Canada. I know that's where I was like, <laughs> that's impressive. I feel like, I feel like Canada's great about everything. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, about, no, most medications are and most, uh, yeah. And then is this, um, and maybe Leslie, do you know this, can we get this in the, like, is anyone doing this in the U.S. at all? Uh, there are some clinics that are doing, I mean, I've seen um, some of the, you know, dry eye experts across the country talking about it. So I, I'm not, can't name any names right now. And there's nobody <laughs> in my area that is doing it. Um, and the, um, that my cornea specialist who does the autologous serum he does, you know, he does make it in his practice. So I would, I would 
I would pick him to be one of the first ones to use that. Mm. From a cornea specialist standpoint, I wonder if this is more appealing than amniotics or, you know, what do you think about how that fits into a patient that you might do an amniotic membrane on? Yeah, absolutely. And we have amniotics in our clinic too. Um, you're absolutely right. I, I kind of go back and forth and, and, and see, you know, where this would fit in versus amniotics. Um, I do find a little bit better results actually with PRP just because it's used longer. You know what I mean? It's used for three months when we're dispensing it versus a membrane that dissolves within a week. Um, yeah. So I, you know, to be honest, for me, for my practice, I'm finding that uh, patients are more drawn to using these drops um, rather than having an amniotic on the, on the eye. And then is it three months and then you stop it or no, it's continuous. It depends on, it depends on how much um, dry eye is going on, uh, you know, and in how long they've had dry eyes for uh, some patients find it that they use it for three months and then they don't use it again, or they use it for six months. Um, sometimes they'll get enough supply and then kind of use it every other week and leave it in the freezer. So there's some variations in how patients are using it. I mean, that's really important. You know, what I'm also finding in the practice is that we've still got to manage all the other part of the dry eye disease, right? It's not an isolation that we can just throw PRP and say everything is going to be wonderful. I wish it would be like that, you know, if I'm trying to lose weight and if I can just go to the gym and eat garbage, no. <laughs> Well, you can until a certain point of life, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it is a chronic disease at, uh, at the end of the day. Um, and so managing that patient expectation uh, with PRP, but really managing the whole, the whole uh, spectrum of dry eye disease from their lid disease to any irritant, you know, maybe they're in, um, they wear their contacts way too much or they have an autoimmune condition. So managing all of that. Uh, so this is just another tool in our toolbox, um, you know, that's uh, perhaps uh, natural as well. This is great. You, um, you should, do you have any before and afters? Do you have an Instagram? I feel like, yes, yes. Oh, what's I your do. Instagram? Let's it's doctor.mania.madan. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I am posting some uh, before and afters um, uh, of some of these uh, wonderful patients. I've had some really great showgreen successful patients as well from PRP oh. that we're documenting and kind of keeping track of and, you know, yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for like teaching us this. I feel like this, I feel like I'm going to definitely listen to this recording again. Yeah. <laughs> You'll keep taking really notes old. throughout the second know, and third the same. You know, I think that just you're an awesome, you know, voice for optometry, right? You, you have been sort of breaking the mold along your whole optometric career. So I, it's been a pleasure to, to kind of learn a little bit more about you. Um, and I, I think that we'll be hearing a lot more of you um, and from you in the coming months and years, because it seems like you've got a lot of things to shake up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, you guys. Throughout life and our optometric journeys, we will be faced with barriers, but not settling for the norm and breaking the barriers is a challenge that I would say we should all accept. We can learn from Dr. Madan. She not only broke the barriers that were facing her professionally, but also has broken through some barriers of clinical challenges that we see with our chronic dry eye patients. Platelet-rich plasma, PRP, is a great new tool that is gaining a lot of exposure in the dry eye space. I thank you for educating us to PRP and I'm excited to see how this will continue to grow my dry eye toolbox.